St. Therese said near the end of her life, I desire now nothing but suffering. St. Francis of Assisi said something like this one time, perfect joy would be to receive all the sufferings that men give you as if it were coming from God. St. Teresa of Calcutta said, suffering is the kiss of Christ. Does that make you sick? It's like, don't talk to me. And yet, on every page of sacred scripture, we see suffering. It's almost like the whole book was written just to be with us in our suffering. Even the readings we had today, uh, even though it wasn't on those pages, it's on the next page. You turn to, turn to the next verse of Isaiah, next chapter, and it's, uh, I gave my back to those who beat me, my face to those who plucked my beard. The next part of Corinthians St. Paul starts talking about the wisdom of the cross. And then, of course, the gospel. St. John the Baptist doesn't say, behold, the Son of God. Behold, the Messiah. Behold, the miracle worker. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And every Jew who heard that knew exactly what he was talking about, and a lamb it's the animal of sacrifice. He's, he's foreshadowing Christ's whole ministry in blood. I had a prisoner just before Christmas send me an email, and she was just kind of recounting some of the kind of the, the litany of um, what she called minor crosses in her family's life. I mean, everything from car troubles to teeth troubles to illnesses and things like that. And she said that she had just, just, just done the rescue project and it was, it was good and there was a part on suffering, but she said it just wasn't sufficient. It needed more. It needs its own talk, Father. It needs its own address. So this is my attempt to address that mystery of suffering, which is hard to, hard to talk about in general, but especially when we're in the midst of suffering. And I know that there are many of you who are in the throes of suffering right now. And sometimes we can hear the things that the saints say and we kind of get this distorted view like the church is pro-suffering. The more suffering you have, the better and you should go out and look for it. But that's not what the church teaches. We're not looking for suffering. It's like, what do we do when we have it though? Sometimes, sometimes those of us who are, you know, we're Christian, we're, we're like, well, we, we know suffering comes, but we feel like we got to like acquit God. Like he's, he's on, he, we're, we're trying to defend him. Well, well, no, you know, it's not God's fault. Well, let me explain why God would allow this. It's certainly, there's, there's certainly no like rote answer. Like, hey, here's the, here's the easy one. Like, oh, this all makes so much sense But there are things we can say. I mean, God can prevent suffering. He could prevent suffering by preventing us. I mean, you think about it, the, the, 
the creatures that we are makes suffering a kind of a necessity. Right? The, the very fact that I have arms with which to hug you means I have arms with which to punch you. The very fact that I have a tongue with which I can bless you means I have a tongue with which I can curse you. The very fact that we have minds in which we can invent the automobile means we have minds in which we can invent weapons of mass destruction. And God didn't put suffering into the world. We did that. We can think just very limited examples of how my sins affect other people. My sin affects you to suffer. Your sins affect me to suffer. This is where suffering comes from. And God can prevent it, but only by preventing us. Only by changing the type of world that we live in, a world with cause and effect. Sometimes we really like those causes and those effects, and sometimes we really don't. But the same sun that burns us, warms us. The same food that we delight in is the food that makes us sick if we eat too much of it. It's the the double-edged sword of our creatureliness. But I think that the, the suffering in and of itself isn't the main problem for us. The, the greater suffering than the, than the pain is wondering what it's all for. Because if we had a purpose for our suffering, I think we could bear it. And we know that if I, if I have a surgery, and I'm in pain because of the surgery, but that surgery saved my life, like the suffering is worth it. If I... If I saw a kid in the road and a car bearing down on me, I pushed him out of the way and in the, in the consequence of the, the effect, I, you know, I got, broke my legs. I'd say that was worth it because I saved that kid. There's all sorts of war heroes to this effect, right? We save somebody else. We're suffering for it, but it's worth it. I know what my suffering is for. Childbirth is usually worth it because we get a cute little cuddly baby at the end of it. We're willing to go through that again and again. But what about the suffering that doesn't have an answer? The suffering that I don't see any purpose for, any reason for. That's the suffering that'll destroy us. Because we often say things like this, like, I would gladly take her suffering if I could. I would trade places with him if it were possible. Parents are always saying stuff like this about their their children. When they see their children suffering, this is one of the greatest sufferings. They can't do anything about it, but they'd gladly take it if they could. This is the suffering of Mama Mary at the foot of the cross. Even though she knows that this suffering is for the good of the world, She suffers so greatly, greater than any other human being ever suffered because she loved more greatly than any human being ever loved. Viktor Frankl, the the famous psychologist who survived the prison camps during World War II, uh, 
wrestled with this question. What's the, what's the meaning of suffering? He said that a lot of the men in the camp would, would say things like this, if I can only survive, then this suffering will have been worth it. But he got to pondering that and he said, well, that doesn't actually make any sense. If the only meaning of this suffering is that I can one day not be suffering anymore, then what's the point of living? So he wasn't satisfied with that answer. And I think he's, he's actually on to something. If the only point of suffering is to one day not be suffering, then we've just, we've just pushed the question down the road. Well, what's the point of living? What's the point of life? I don't know if Viktor Frankl ever came up with the answer, but for us, that's actually a really helpful answer. Because this life isn't the end of the story. What if my suffering here and now had some bearing on the afterlife, on the life yet to come? Then would it be bearable? What if I knew that my suffering right now, your suffering right now, your, your, your migraines, your, your chronic back illness, your cancer, your, your depression, your anxiety, your loneliness. What if you knew that that suffering right now was having a positive effect on somebody else right now? Like if your headache right now, if you knew that your headache right now is preventing somebody else from having a headache, would it be worth it? If you knew that your loneliness right now was soothing somebody else in their loneliness, would it be worth it? If you knew that your anxiety, your chronic foot pain, your whatever was, was healing somebody's marriage right now, would it be worth it? Take it a step further. If you knew that whatever you're suffering right now was giving somebody the grace for a deathbed conversion, would it be worth it? If you knew that you're suffering right now, whatever it is, was freeing souls from purgatory, would it be worth it? But brothers and sisters, that is what our suffering does. Our suffering here and now, in God's mysterious plan, assists others. And not just in their temporal needs right here and right now, but has eternal ripple effects. We'd love to see it We'd love to know about it. We'd love for some person in Africa to write us a letter and say, hey, you know when you were offering that you know, surgery that you had and the pain that you were going through in recovery, that gave me the grace to accept the gospel. That would be really swell, wouldn't it? But by faith, we know that this is what's happening. 
St. Paul says this in the letter to the Colossians, I rejoice in my suffering, not because I love suffering, but I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Because it's doing good for you, for the church, for the body. This woman ended her her letter, her email, by just saying this. She said, I'm offering these relatively small crosses in our family for our parish, for the rescue project, for the other families facing their own much larger crosses, for the glory of God, for my own reparation and sanctification, and for the good of his church. Whenever we offer something to God, he uses it. It never goes to waste. The person who wrote that email was Heidi Kaiser, the woman I asked you to pray for last week. She made an offering. The Lord accepted it. And I don't know how the conversation went, but I imagine it going something like this. Heidi, I receive your offering and I'm going to put it to good use. Would you like to offer a little more? And I think she said, yes, Lord, I'll offer a little more. And then I think he said, Heidi, I I receive your offering. Would you like to offer a little more? She said, yes, Lord, I'll offer a little more. And I had the privilege to say mass for her in her hospital room on Monday. And some of the prayers just kind of hit me in a very real way. I turned to her and Kevin, her husband, said, pray, brother and sister, that my sacrifice and yours be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. I'm looking at her lying on her, her deathbed. And then this is the prayer, the next prayer, prayer over the offerings. It said, Accept, O Lord, the offerings we have brought to the honor of the revealing of your beloved Son, so that the oblation of your faithful may be transformed into the sacrifice of him who willed in his compassion to wash away the sins of the world. That's what happens when we make our offering, when we unite our offering to his. It's transformed into the sacrifice that took away the sins of the world. Heidi made an offering when it was little. And as it got bigger, she just continued to offer Until last night, the Lord came and said, Heidi, will you offer all? And she offered all. And the Lord took all. And now, now she gets to see the result of her offering. Now she gets to see all those little crosses that she offered, where they went who they blessed, who they touched, whose lives were transformed, who was healed, who was converted. She gets to see that now. 
My brothers and sisters, in a moment, I'll say those same words again. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours be acceptable. Let's, let's just pile our sacrifices, our sufferings, our woundedness, our brokenness, our loneliness, let's just pile it on the altar. Because every time we do that, it's transformed into the sacrifice of him who willed by his compassion to wash away the sins of the world. It's effective. He uses it. I don't know where, I don't know how, but he does. And just a couple of really practical things when we're, when we're suffering, just acknowledge it. Just acknowledge it. It's okay to acknowledge it. It's okay to even say something that might sound like a complaint. The Psalms are full of this. Oh Lord, listen as I complain. Oh God, out of the depths I cry to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prayed that one from the cross. St. Therese said, I never thought it was possible to suffer so much. We don't have to keep it a secret. We can say it, but say it and offer it. Offer it in your heart during your day and then when you come to this altar, offer it there. And know and believe that the Lord will not let anything go to waste that's offered to him. Let's let our hearts, our lives, our sufferings, our little crosses be transformed into the sacrifice of him who willed in his compassion to take away the sins of the world.